Kia ora te whanau. let's pray. Lord, may the thoughts in our hearts and the words that I speak and the words that we speak together be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning's passage is John's Gospel. It's rather a long passage, but follow it along with me in the New Living Translation on the screen or on your screen or in your Bible. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we're descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, anyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, you Samaritan devil! Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? No, said Jesus. I have no demon in me, for I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, now we know you're possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. 
The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. It's quite a dramatic story and a dramatic turning point in John's gospel. Getting stoned. I did not choose the sermon title. It was chosen for me. But as was said earlier, I, I took it up with alacrity, with enthusiasm. There are ironic links, actually, not only in my own life, but especially in the culture of the, hippie, the hippies of the 60s and 70s, between the meanings of words in their culture, which was my culture for a time, and the words of this passage. Because the hippies sought freedom, and in seeking freedom, sought freedom in drug-taking, getting stoned, and thought that getting stoned provided even greater freedom. This message is entirely different. In fact, to sum up this message is that there is actually a direct link between being set free by the truth and being stoned for it. We're used to thinking that if, we'll be obe if we're obedient, then things will go well for us. God will bless us and it'll, all will be well and easy and happy and joyful. And that's actually not always the case. You see, in this passage, Jesus was ultimately attacked because he was faithful to his Father and his Father's words. And the same goes for us. If we are faithful to Christ, we can expect that there will be opposition, hostility, even uh, suffering and persecution. As I said, this passage is a turning point in the public ministry of Jesus. And it introduces a, a new concept in our story that has been the theme this year. Namely, the possible costly consequences of faithfulness to Christ and obedience to his teaching. As usual, I want to begin with the structure of the passage just to help you understand where we, where we start and how we get to where we end up. As we've read in verses 31 to 38, Jesus teaches us how to know the truth and the, consequ the immediate consequences of knowing the truth. The immediate consequences being you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that uh, creates an argument with some of the Jewish people. And Jesus has to explain who the real children of God are. The real children of God are not those whose physical ancestry is with Abraham. The real children of God are those who had the same, have the same faith that Abraham had. And that, of course, picks up a theme that's in John's gospel in the prologue. The first 18 verses, I've said this before, the first 18 verses of John's gospel introduce the, every theme that's going to be carried out in the gospel. And who is a child of God is, is introduced in John 1.12. Those who believe in him have the right to become children of God. Here, Jesus is explaining it more. And then Jesus contrasts in verses 48 to 53 the truth that comes from God and the lies that come from Satan. 
And in response to Jesus' teaching, he gets accusations and objections. And then finally, he declares as clearly as possible his divinity, which leads to the open hostility and the first immediate violent attempt on his life. In verses 31 and 32, there are three key phrases which, which we need to focus on before we, before we get to the end. Jesus says, hold to my teaching or remain faithful to my teaching. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That first phrase, hold to my teaching or remain faithful to my teaching, in verse 31. Hold to is not just hold on to, it's hold on to for your very life. It's to cling on, it's to grasp and not let go. It's to hold on to something in the face of resistance. When the strong winds of temptation, relativism, the idea that there are no absolutes and anybody can do anything they like and make up what, the, what, what is right for them without regard to anybody else. And the current ideologies which are dominating our, our, our society, our conversations, our arguments, our conflicts within society, especially identity politics, which I'll refer to rather than labour, but I will refer to that later on. In the face of everything that's going on in New Zealand... We must hold on all the more firmly to Jesus' teaching. The point of holding and remaining faithful to Jesus' teaching is to have a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus. So it's not, it is a matter of believing who Jesus is. It's a matter of believing on Jesus, entrusting ourselves to him. It's a matter of believing what his teaching says. But more importantly than all of those, or as importantly in encompassing all of those things, is that we need a daily, vibrant, real, personal relationship with Jesus. But one which is firmly and solely based on the truth of who he is and what he said. And what he said is good for us. I've said it many times before, but let me say it's appropriate that we say it here. What God says is good is actually good for us. God's law is beneficial. That's why the con Christian concept of freedom is so important as distinct from the secular Western concept of freedom, which is do as you like. And Jesus says, know the truth. You see, when we become believers when we become followers, disciples of Jesus, then we come to know the truth that's embodied in the person of Jesus and the truth both about who Jesus is and the truth that Jesus taught. It's all one package. And the very concept of truth is so controversial today. I mean, we now, in the last five years, I think I've heard, we now have people talking about my truth and your truth. Well, that, sorry, that's garbage. It's incomprehensible rubbish. You see, if truth is not objective, then there is no such thing as truth. But for the, somebody to say there is no such thing as absolute truth, it's, that's incomprehensible because they're trying to tell you the truth, that there is no truth. 
Well, come on, let's get real. Who's on shaky ground here? Truth is something that's unchangeable, unchanging, eternal, universal, and applicable to all people in all places at all times. Truth is not about how we feel. Truth is something objective, objectively true, real. And I know that there are many people in New Zealand society who just think that's, that's arrogance and heresy. But because they are made in the image of God, they can't help but have a concept of truth, even though they're trying to deny it with their words. Everything in our society is changing and changing rapidly. The value systems and ideas that guide the world change constantly. In fact, the woke world that is so prominent in the Western world is changing so fast that even the most woke can't keep up. Because what was acceptable five years ago is no longer acceptable. As though the truth has changed. But the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of what he taught is objectively true and unchangeable and unchanging and eternal and it's real. And it actually provides the only firm foundation on which a life can be based because it's, it, it creates the only uh, view of the world which is coherent, which is consistent. And when we hold to Jesus' teaching, we experience him. You see, we're not just obeying some words, some law, some something out there. We're actually obeying a person. We're experiencing Jesus who wants the best for us. We come to know the truth and we have a sure foundation for life based on his word. And then he said, and you will come to know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it was actually that phrase that set, up this, set off this whole controversial conversation with at least elements of the crowd. I mean, some of the Jewish people had believed on him, but obviously within the crowd there were those who had not. And they wanted to have an argument. And of course they immediately said, what do you mean the truth will set you free? We have never been slaves of anybody. Well, that was just delusional. At the very time that Jesus said that, the Jewish people were under Roman occupation. They hadn't been free of occupation for hundreds of years. And yet there was this argument. And then it became a nationalistic argument. It became a racial argument. Oh, but we're descendants of Abraham. And God is our father. All these distractions. And so Jesus wants to, has to reiterate what the truth is and how it sets people free and what is the essence of freedom. You see, there is a current common misconception. Well, it's not only current, it's been a misconception for a long, long time that freedom means we can do what we like. That's what 
freedom means. We can do what we like. And in the United States, the word freedom is a banner that is held very high. In fact, it probably in the United States is the highest value held socially and politically, freedom. There was an American academic spent some time in New Zealand and he ended up writing a book contrasting his understanding of American values and Kiwi values. And he said the highest value in the United States is freedom. What do you think he said the highest value in New Zealand was? <laughs> no, an alliterative, another F word, and not that F word. Fairness. And when you think about it, you see, in, in, just think of the COVID uh, pandemic. Yes, there were some cries for freedom in New Zealand, but the big narrative was we have to do something that's fair for everybody. And in social narrative and political narrative and in economic narrative in New Zealand, what is fair is the dominant narrative. And yet we do have a call for freedom in the midst of all that. And most people think of freedom, as I said, as being able to do what we like. Do what we feel like without restriction or limitation. Or some people may say, oh, you can do what you like as long as it doesn't harm anybody. But they've already put an, an, they're already saying there are no absolutes. Oh, hang on, there's one absolute. You're not allowed to harm anybody. But why not? If you don't have any absolutes, how come harming somebody is a problem? You see, you have to have a view of the world that's coherent. Jesus' idea of freedom, the Christian idea of freedom is not we are free to do what we like, but actually when we become believers in Jesus, for the first time in our lives, we are free to resist sin. We are free to do what we ought to do and like it. We are freed from the power or the slavery or the bondage to sin, especially as Libby just referred to previously in her uh, story. Faith in Christ frees us, Paul says it in Romans chapter 6, frees us from the habits, hang-ups, and hurts, and I didn't get them in the right order, but I put them in alphabetical order, that's my thing. <laughs> but many of us have experientially, we know this to be true. Whether we've come into the church through the CR door or however we've come to Christ, we know that faith in Christ actually enables us. There is a new power in our lives to live differently, to resist sin and enjoy the benefits of making good decisions rather than dumb decisions of making beneficial decisions rather than self-destructive decisions. That's Jesus' idea of freedom. You can resist sin, resist the devil. You have the ability and the freedom to follow Jesus' teaching, which results in us experiencing the positive benefits in all areas of our lives, our mental health, physical health, personal relationships. And then Jesus goes on, and we're only going to skim over that, just reiterating 
It's those who believe in Jesus who are the real children of God, regardless of your physical ancestry. The truth comes from God. Every lie comes from Satan who is seeking to deceive people. And the greatest deceit, of course, is that we can live without him, without God. And then Jesus makes this outrageous statement because he said, you know, he, uh, he says in answer to a question, you're not yet 50 years old and you say you were around before Abraham, how can that be? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And it's so controversial because, you see, when God the Father revealed his name in the Exodus to the people he had just rescued out of slavery, he revealed his name. God is just a generic term for the big guy, the man upstairs. But he says, I have a name. My name is I am who I am. My name is is Yahweh. And Jesus is very deliberate. This is an overt claim to deity on Jesus' Jesus, uh, part. Before Abraham was, I am. And his audience got it. And that's why they responded with the hostility. That's why people said, we need to stone this guy. Ultimate in, in in blasphemy for a human being to say, I am God. And Jesus said that. And it just reminds us, because John is an eyewitness to this stuff. John wrote what he experienced. John wrote what he knew Jesus had said. John believed that Jesus was the Son of God because he heard Jesus say, Before Abraham was, I am. And so, we come to the meat of the sandwich. How, why, when, how might we get stoned? Because God, I'm sorry, because Jesus, the people attempted to stone Jesus because he infuriated them so much. He infuriated them because he had an answer to every objection. He infuriated them so much because he claimed to be God. It's clear that Jesus claimed to be God. John knew that Jesus had claimed to be God. The people that he was arguing with understood that he was claiming to be God. That's why they responded with such hostility. So when John in his gospel says, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, He's not making that up. He's not saying, well, Jesus, you know, there are people who say, Jesus didn't think he was God. I'm sorry. Yes, he did. Jesus knew he was God. He said it. There are three ways. I think I've only got three. How does aligning ourselves with Jesus, how does knowing, remaining, holding fast, clinging on, holding on for dear life, to the truth of Jesus. How does that get us into so much trouble? Firstly, thinking back to my earlier comment about the current situation, temptations, relativism, and the ideology of gender politics and, well, identity politics. 
How does that get us into trouble, being faithful to Jesus? Well, firstly, declining or refusing to join others in chasing selfish lifestyles, not the least of which are sinful lifestyles and sinful pleasures. You see, if we're associating with people for whom that's their thing, and we decline or refuse to join them in that, we can be accused of being self-righteous, superior, dismissive, exclusive, and the reaction to that is to be cancelled, criticised harshly, ostracised, well, we don't want anything to do with you. You know, that's the testimony of people over and over again. In becoming Christians, they lost their friends, not because they abandoned their friends, but because their former friends abandoned them, because they didn't want to be associated with a Christian. And that's a price to pay. Now, sadly, there might be times when we are self-righteous and superior, and we need to repent of that. But that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is we are going to be criticized, accused, libeled by people just because we don't go along with them. And then a really big one is insisting that Truth is an objective, universal thing. In the face of relativism, relativism is the fancy name given to people who say, there are no absolutes. You can't say that something is wrong. It's up to every individual to determine for themselves what is right and wrong for them. But it just doesn't work. It's not only philosophically incoherent, it's not only delusional. It doesn't make sense. You can pick holes in it, but it doesn't work in real life. And the death of Western culture and the increasing spiral of social decay that we are experiencing in New Zealand, in Auckland, in West Auckland, everywhere, is the direct result over generations of trying to pretend that it doesn't matter, that everybody can do what they like. Everybody can make up their own minds what is right and wrong. And Christians, not because it's our idea, but because we are faithful to the teaching of Jesus, we insist that truth is objective, universal, and eternal. And we're not arrogant in saying we know it. We didn't find it out for ourselves. We only know it because Jesus told us. The truth of who Jesus is, and especially John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is the, the single, great, single greatest religious stumbling block, I think, in New Zealand, in Western culture. Because it's not inclusive enough. It's exclusive. Yes, it is. But it's not our idea. It's Jesus. Jesus said it. 
There is only one God. Now, that's a controversial saying. (laughs) Who that God is, he is Yahweh. And his son is Jesus. The fact that Jesus is the only son and the only way to God is deeply offensive to many, many people in New Zealand. Deeply offensive. Now, we are called, as Jesus came full of grace and truth, we are called to be as gracious as we are truthful. But we can't get around this one. And we will pay the price if we insist on the truth of who Jesus is and him being the only gateway to God. We will be accused of arrogance, intolerance, of haters of people of other religions. And the reaction will be, not only are we cancelled and ostracized, but harshly and falsely accused and probably lied about, certainly exaggerated. I mean, the whole concept of hate speech has become so elastic, you only have to disagree with today's fad, and you are a hater. And thirdly and lastly, oh shucks, I said the word lastly too early. Um, (laughs) How are we going to get ourselves stoned? By resisting the common, sorry, the current dominant ideology of identity. That is, I am or I can be Whatever or whoever I feel I am. You see, if you, if you do away with objective truth, there is nothing left. There is only feelings. And this is so, this is so virulent in today's society. You know, you're, you're out there. You cannot question how somebody feels without being accused of hate speech, or being a hater, being exclusive, being intolerant. And I think in my experience in watching the media and listening to other people, that actually in New Zealand right now, this resisting this current dominant ideology of identity in the name of Jesus is probably the most bringing about the most angry reaction in people of anything we can do or say. People become angry, hateful at our hate, forceful even violently in opposition. What to do? The first thing to remember is we have no enemies. People who do not believe in Jesus are not our enemies. We regard no one as our enemy. We may be and we are regarded as enemies by many people who oppose the truth, but we have no enemies. Therefore, we must not act towards anybody. We must not speak towards anybody as though they were our enemy. They are not our enemies. Secondly, we must learn to love people 
in equal measure to our insistence on the truth. We must never answer slur with slur. What do I mean by that? The most common response to somebody telling the truth is, you're just a religious bigot. You're just a pale male, stale male pale. A stale pale male. You're a racist. We must never answer slur with slur. We must constantly remind ourselves that we are speaking to other people who are made in the image of God, human beings whom God loves. And we need to constantly remind ourselves that we, we are not going to buy into identity politics. I cannot help being an old white male, but it does not define me. What defines me, oh, and I'm straight, That kind of finishes me off. <laughs> but it does not define me. What defines me is I belong to Jesus. We must constantly remind ourselves that, and it, this is not only a church thing. This is not only for in here, that our identity is in Christ. We are not first and foremost Pakeha or Maori or Asian or some other race. We are not first and foremost male or female or trans or somewhere in between. We are not first and foremost Gen X, millennial or boomer. We are not first and foremost wealthy, middle class, working, poor or unemployed, destitute or homeless. We are first and foremost human beings made in the image of God. And for those of us who are following Jesus, we are being remade into the image of God in Christ. And therefore, our dealing with other people must not be, we don't go and play in their playground or fight in their battleground. We're not going to argue, we're not going to fight them on identity. We're not going to fight them. We're going to love them on the basis that they are human beings, fallen, lost, estranged, maybe dead in sin, certainly blind, can't hear. We are to bring the gospel in word, deed, and sign. And almost lastly, can use it now. If we are going to know the truth, and experience the freedom that living the truth brings. The freedom to do the right thing. The freedom to obey with joy and experience the benefits. We must prepare and accept without being martyrs, without having some martyr complex. We have to accept that being cancelled, criticised, lied about, ostracized, even being attacked in New Zealand right now as part of faithful discipleship, following Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. I actually can't finish without saying, in three parts of the world right now, or in lots of parts of the world, Christians are having a hard time. But in three parts of the world right now, 
Christians are having a really hard time. And we'll start with Israel, with Gaza and the West Bank. Now, this is why identity politics we cannot get into. Because you're, you're, you're even surprised. You're thinking, oh, Christians? What have Christians got to do with Gaza? What you need to know that in Israel, including the West Bank and Gaza, far more of the believers are Arab than Israeli or Jewish. Messianic, there are Messianic Jews in Israel, but the, by far the greatest number of our fellow Christians, believers in Jesus Christ in Israel, are Arabs. How would you like to be an Arab Christian where in a country where because you're not Jewish, you're a second-class citizen because you're an Arab. But among the Arabs, you're a second-class citizen because you're not a Muslim. You see, Arab Christians in Israel are the bottom of the heap. And Arab Christians are working in Gaza with the gospel and in humanitarian ways. Uh, if, you, if you want a, one, one door, go to Facebook and look up Bethlehem Bible College or go on Google, Bethlehem Bible College, an Arab Christian Bible College. I've been there. I know the people. They're faithful to the gospel in the midst of this interminable situation, this Seemingly unresolvable situation. And they feel abandoned. Why do they feel abandoned? Because the Jews hate them, because the Arab Muslims hate them, and because the Christian Zionists are only interested in talking to the Jews and only ever go to Jerusalem and never come to Bethlehem to actually have fellowship with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So what's an Arab Christian in Bethlehem supposed to do? Or in Gaza? There are Christians in Gaza. They're supposed to be faithful. And they know that the cost of faithfulness is stoning, figuratively or literally. And then there's Ukraine. You know the problem in Ukraine? Christianity is predominantly nationalistic. The big churches... The big church in Ukraine and Russia, between Ukraine and Russia, are the Orthodox Church. And Orthodox churches are nationalistic. There's the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Syrian Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church. Every country that has an Orthodox Church in Eastern Europe, it's a national church, the Serbian, Serbian Orthodox Church. And just in passing, do you know that before the Srebrenica massacre in Bosnia and Herzegovina, the Serbian Orthodox priests served communion to the soldiers who were going to go and kill the Bosnians? The church has something to answer for. You want to know how hard it is to be a Christian in Ukraine? You've got brothers and sisters in Christ who are Russians, who are supporting the Russian invasion because they are Russian. Because their identity is not in Christ. It's in being Russian. We've got to learn from this. We need to make sure 
that we stop talking about a colonizer church or a Pakia church or a PI church or a Maori church or an Asian church. If we're going to be the church, we need to take Galatians 3.28 seriously that in Christ there is no race, there is no social class, there is no gender. None of the divisions that divide human beings can be allowed to divide the one body of Christ. taken you a while. (laughs) But I'm so encouraged, I think I'll continue. (laughs) The last one is Myanmar. Some of you know I was just there. But I don't want to talk about the reason I was there. I want to talk about how would you like to be a Christian in Myanmar? Former Burma, tucked between China, Thailand, India, and a little bit with Bangladesh. Christians are predominantly, not exclusively, tribal minorities in Burma, in Myanmar, hated by the ethnic majority, hated by the military. And this, it's both good and bad. Christians are still reaching out to the ethnic majority, to the Burma, to Buddhists. But I learned something terribly, terribly sad just this week. I was sent a public press release that was put out by the military junta, the the military governing council. You see, there is now armed resistance in Myanmar, except that it's not being funded or armed by the West. They're having to get on their own. No oil. Actually, that's not the real reason. The real reason is that the West doesn't want to have a war with China, and China is the big backer in Myanmar. But I don't want to get into the politics. I want to tell you this. How to resist, how to remain faithful to the gospel. You know, the group of Bible believers in Myanmar is known as the Myanmar Evangelical Christian Association, Mecca. Do you know what the military did? A year or they, they, took, they took power in April of 2021. It might have been before the end of 2021. It was certainly in 2022. They approached the leaders of various of the religious groups, the Muslims, the Christians. Uh, they already got the Buddhists on their side. And they handed out honorary awards that are absolutely meaningless. But on the one hand, while they were appealing to the ego of leaders, including the leader of the evangelical Mecca, evangelical group in Myanmar, whom Rod and I know personally, and he's a good guy. They didn't only appeal to his ego, there was an implied threat that when they offer you an award, you can't can't, um, decline. But in offering him an award brought the requirement that they would, he, they would then have to comply with the junta. And so state media just this past week made a big thing of the fact that there were guerrilla attacks in Shan State in the east of Myanmar. This, was, this is the resistance to the military junta. 
And all of these religious groups, which had been given awards by the junta, issued press releases denouncing the guerrilla attacks against the government and supporting the military. What to do? It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And we have no concept in our safe and secure little bubble that we live in here, as fractured as it is, we don't have anybody coming to our door and saying, unless you cooperate with us, we're going to kill your family. All this is part of me saying, if we're going to be faithful to Jesus, if we're going to hold on to his teaching, cling on to it for dear life, if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to be faithful, if we're going to remain, we have to expect not simply a benign ignoring or somebody saying nasty things about us. At some point, somewhere along the line, there's a price to pay. The truth sets us free, but it could very well also get us stoned, figuratively or literally. Aligning ourselves with Jesus, enjoying the benefits of our personal freedom from sin, yet our exclusive loyalty to Jesus also creates enemies that we don't want as enemies, but our enemies nevertheless, and just as Jesus' loyalty to the Father created enemies against him, we have enemies. No, sorry, they have enemies. We are them. Jesus' enemies sought to kill him and ultimately succeeded. Brothers and sisters, finally, this is the cost. This is the price of clinging to the truth. Which truth is the only key to true freedom? Amen.